a welcome again to each of you is in our live stream. We want to thank each of you again for being with us. I didn't have a microphone on earlier when we started, and I just want to say to those, especially in live stream today, your presence here each time means so much to us as a congregation. And many of you and many of you here today throughout this year have shared in the adventure with this congregation in giving and your love and your faithfulness and your vision sharing for the call of Christ upon Liberty Church to be an oasis of life-giving, refreshing in the Word of God to equip the saints to do the works of ministry that God has called each of them to do, and by that, to grow the body of Christ. All of these things are a part of the treasure that we share and we receive from God together today. As we return to Advent, we remember that in all of the ways that these candles are aimed at, at symbolizing intangibles that we can only barely grasp, that we come back to them to say thank you to the Lord again for what, what each aspect brings to each of us as believers. First of all, of course, the, the prophet's candle, reminding us, as the book of Hebrews says, that God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past through the prophets to the fathers, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And then the angel's candle as we reflect on the beauty of these angelic visitations to Mary, to Joseph, to the angels, the angelic interventions in their journey. And we give thanks for the ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be the heirs of salvation. And then as Becky led us last night in reflecting on the ministry of the shepherds, the role of these shepherds being surprised by their discovery as the angelic announcement of the birth of Jesus filled those night skies. Then today we come to the Christ candle. And in honor and awe for all that God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand with a sense of momentous need in our lives to re-encounter and reawaken to the fullness of who Jesus is. So when we hear the word of the Lord through the angel that Joseph was to name the baby Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins, we know that in Joseph's response and later Mary's response, they could never have imagined the journey that was before them. But the Christ candle brings us to a specific point on the globe, a specific point on the map, a tiny village called Bethlehem. And this is not a happy time in the contemporary world for that troubled little village. For now again, in Christmas of 2023, we see Bethlehem again being in the eye of a storm of conflict and surrounded by the, the uh, collateral damage of war. Maybe even in that fact, we can also be reminded that the Christ candle is bringing us symbolically to an awareness that Jesus is here 
his presence, his living incandescent glory is given to each of us to know him, to walk with him, to worship him, to receive him. What an odd thing that God sent his only begotten son to this tiny village prophesied by Micah 720 years before the birth of Jesus, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou art little among the clans of Judah, yet out of thee shall come the one whose goings forth are from ever and of old, as the King James Bible translates it. Modern translations aim to render that uh, very pregnant Hebrew phrase about eternity as origins in eternity past or in infinity past. And yet the truth is that we can never fully grasp the magnitude of the distance that he crossed to bring us this gift of salvation. But the birth that occurred there in that tiny village of Bethlehem is celebrated by millions now. And yet it was obscure, so obscure when it occurred, that um, no one would have even dreamed of the glory of the one who was laid in that manger in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem's cradle, a baby was laid in hay whose needs physically and emotionally on a human level were exactly like every other baby. For God to not only become man, as we often say, but to become infant man, and prior to that, in the womb of the virgin, to be the infinitesimally tiny embryo of a human being, entering into humanity, fully embracing all of our needs, still is a cause of wonder in our souls. And that feeding trough that holds animal for animals to, to eat from, where Jesus was laid as an infant, held in that morning a treasure that is beyond what human brains can possibly calculate. And yet it is also a treasure that throughout the New Testament, the writers brought directly into expression as they gave the good news that forgiveness of sins and a new relationship, a real relationship with the true and living God, comes through this good news of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul summarized what we could say was the treasure in that little feeding trough in one very succinct verse in Colossians 2-3 when he spoke of the Lord Jesus, saying, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now we might draw from that treasure at least two things today. I think that held within that feeding trough is an anchor and a promise. An anchor for our souls in the reality of what incarnation means and the promise of what incarnation brings in each of our lives when we say yes to the living Savior. The anchor is that God gives us in his incarnation his decision to dwell with us by becoming human. It was his eternal plan for our salvation. And the promise is to this dark world what a candle is for a dark room. It's a light that pierces the darkness. 
Through the Gospels of the New Testament, God-breathed Scripture brings the entire truth of Jesus of Nazareth to a world in darkness. His virgin birth, atoning death, and resurrection glory ignites the flame of worship within us. We might see this Christ candle as an invitation to receive this light, to take gospel truth actively into the busy challenges of our lives. All that God promised to do for each of us so that we can know him and walk with him and worship him in spirit and in truth, all of that is wrapped up in the magnitude of the miracle of the Messiah in the manger. The majesty in the manger is the royal design of God to take human beings across the globe and give every single human being the opportunity for God Almighty to bring to each of their hearts this full salvation. I, I like the way that Max Licato summarized it so briefly in his book, When God Draw, Draws Near, when he said, Christ enters our world so that we may enter his world. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that as the good news penned by those who had known and walked with our Lord and Savior in his earthly journey, describes to us what feels indescribable. We join in awe in hearing again what the beloved Apostle John wrote about seeing and touching and communicating with you. When he said that which we have heard, which we have seen, which we've looked upon, which our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. In that light, Lord, we thank you for this wondrous reality on Christmas Eve of Jesus, God with us, not only entering our world, but now beckoning us to enter in joy, engage, and pursue the wonder of living in your kingdom. So, Heavenly Father, in the light of this Christ candle, we thank you for your eternal grace, given at such an awesome cost. For your glory, O Lord, ignite us with a flame of passion to bring the Lord Jesus today our best gifts. Open our hearts to the eternal realm as we bow at our Savior's manger and anchor us anew in the eternal glory of the Incarnation so we may live with lively anticipation of your living word touching others and drawing hearts to the Savior. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.
Man. Beautiful. Thank you, Becky and Ruth. So delighted to have Ruth back today. And each of you, both here and your families and Again, live stream friends, thank you. Merry Christmas to each of you. And I know in addition to many who are those who often are with us in live stream today, especially are several that have been dealing with these illnesses in their families. And, uh, and we come alongside you to pray for uh, increased wellness for, for everyone. And also to, to uh, thank you all for sharing part of your Christmas Eve together with us today. I want to invite you to open your Bible today to the Gospel of John, the first chapter, and thinking a bit about the choices that Christmas brings us. Christmas choices are on our doorstep. And just as the reflection of the Christ candle is really the focus upon Jesus himself, the anchor of his promise in our lives, the 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 strong anchor that the Incarnation is for us is that God has already dwelt among us, already taken upon Himself in full the entire spectrum of our human needs and challenges. And then that promise of of the incarnate promise that is somewhat mysterious to even consider, but it is really the fruit of the birth of Jesus that He promised that whosoever would receive him, he would give the power. That's John 1, 12, as you find the first chapter of John in your Bible, that he would give the power to become children of God, born, John 1, 13, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So that, that aspect of the reality of this beautiful day that we step back to think about Jesus among us is, the, is, a, is a twofold gift from God to anchor our souls today. He is with us. He has taken upon himself the full spectrum of human needs and limitations in humbling himself to become man. And by that, he created an eternal miracle of illustration for what the new birth coming to Christ as Lord and Savior should mean, and that is Almighty God coming to dwell within us and by the power of the Holy Spirit reproducing the likeness of Jesus himself. Now, I admit even to voice it is humbling and awe-inspiring to even think of it, and yet this is the glory that we're promised, as we touched on two weeks ago in that, that uh, very intriguing phrase in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where, where the Apostle Paul says, had the rulers of this world and the rulers of the age understood that what was behind the man Christ Jesus, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but these things were revealed for our glory, not glorifying, but for the glory that we receive the glorious plan, the glorious promise, the glorious benefits that God brings us. Now again, sometimes it's so helpful to kind of get it down to one brief expression. And so Paul does this in um, 1 Corinthians, in, in 1 Timothy, Paul does this in a very brief phrase in 1 Timothy when he says this, and I'll just invite you to say this aloud with me, 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So in a very concise phrase, we have in 1 Timothy 1.15, and of course we know Paul adds to that, by the way, the phrase, of whom I am chief. He came to save sinners of whom Paul says, I'm the worst. I'm the mo- I'm, or he could have said, I'm the neediest. And we all join Paul in that saying, Lord, when I look at my sin, when I look at my sinfulness, not just the sins I've committed in life, which are grievous enough, but the sinfulness, that sinful rebellion of the heart against God's best will. How many of you know that's in all of us? And Paul was saying, Paul was really compressing, we might say, compressing in one sentence what we're going to now see in John's gospel, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if you and I count ourselves in that category that he uses, we qualify for the glory of the incarnation. Once we admit we're sinners, once we confess we're sinners, once we declare with with unvarnished honesty and clarity, yes, not only do I sin, have I sinned, not only are my sins grievous, but I am at my very basic human nature, an active sinner. And Paul was saying that. That's who I would be without Christ. And now in proclaiming it, he invites us as we go to the Gospel of John and and revisit the beauty of that promise, then to say in John chapter 1, all that our living Savior brings to us through his incarnate presence in the world is now, not just when he was walking in the flesh and before his death on the cross, but it is now through his resurrection glory and the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's design that we receive and respond and make choices in response to God that are grateful choices. He is inviting us to receive a different view of human living that comes by realizing that we truly are, in receiving Christ, the recipients of this glorious plan. Read aloud with me these words on John 1, 3 again. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, Nothing came into being that has come into being. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet in his advent, the world did not know him. So the choice that comes with the light is what the gospel writer John begins to introduce in the section called the prologue, verses 1 to 14, really it's really 1 to 18, where we read that no man has seen God at any time, but God, the only begotten Son, the only begotten of the Father, has disclosed Him. And in between that first and 18th verse, we get the most magnificent display of the span of time from eternity past 
into the very moment of Bethlehem's miracle of the babe laid in the manger all the way up to the present tense. And in that entire span of centuries upon centuries, there is a consistent, unbreakable promise from God that is capsulized in the word receive. If you have your own Bible open, I'd encourage you to circle the word in that 12th verse of John 1. To as many as received him, the, the Greek word means not only receiving in, a, in the sense of a passive receiver of a gift, but it also means to lay hold of or to embrace. So we might say that when we back up to verse 11, he came unto his own, his own received him not, to as many as embraced him, to as many as received him, to as many, not, not a passive just like, well, whatever you want to do, God, but no, Lombano implies the embracing. It's like I picture it with taking open hands and wrapping around someone at Christmas today or tonight, Christmas Eve or tomorrow, hands you a gift they've lovingly prepared. You don't just sit there and say, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, what do you do when someone gives you a, a cherished gift? You, you reach out and you say, thank you, but you receive it. This is the, the subtle difference in the text of John 1.12 in between the way. The way that left to ourselves, we tend to treat the things of God. Well, whatever God wants to do, he's going to do. But there's always in the gospel this, this element elegantly expressed in John 1.12, vividly demonstrated in various stories that will unfold in the gospel of John, that though they didn't call it Christmas then, I'm calling it Christmas. These are Christmas choices. This is the choice in response to the real Christmas. <laughs> and on this day, Christmas Eve, we, we might also say that what we've just read is the eve of the real Christmas. <laughs> that on the eve, not a single day, but in the prior anticipation of the coming of the Lord Jesus, the light by which God spangled the stars into space and created the solar systems in hundreds of billions of galaxies. This creator God sent his light, not only in magnificent creation of spectacular universes, but also he sent his light, verse 9 says, in a way that every human being in all of humanity benefits from the light that lighteth every man, it says, is coming into the world. And so there is a sense in which not only the, the, the stellar heavens and the, and the microscopic tiny organisms and cellular structures of the human body that were created by God, in all of those physiological creations, the splendor of the Creator is seen, but there is a particular emphasis on the individual communication to a soul that God designed human hearts to have a place of receiving and responding. Yes, the receiving and the responding, the Christmas choices are the reason that these truths about God illuminating all of humanity 
are made known on the eve of the real Christmas. The eve that spanned centuries. The eve of his incarnation is all that the scripture shows us about God's design to manifestly elevate what it means to actually be a human being. There was a laser beam focus that God revealed in the infant king that here not only is the forgiver, here is not only the miracle worker, here is not only your redeemer, but here is also the one in whom God's magnificent plan for human beings to be placed in living, dynamic, continuous relationship with Almighty God, and it is manifested in that infant king. Now, as the truth unfolds from that first chapter of the Gospel of John, repeatedly Jesus speaks of this light, and there are encounters with the light that John is referred to in John 1 in an abstract way, but by the 16th verse of John 1, he promises and reveals that this, there will be an ongoing giving or bursting forth of this light, and the result will be that choice after choice after choice will be presented to the heart. In John 1.16, he puts it in this way, that this full plan for the elevating of the human experience to be in concert with the living God is given by what he calls in John 1.16 the fullness of his grace by which, look at that wording again, we have received one blessing after another. Or the, the King James Bible translates the phrase, we receive grace upon grace upon grace. The, the Greek expression there is one of those that has often been referred to as an untranslatable rich truth in the, from Greek to English, meaning that there's so much more there than the English wording can convey. And the implication is that this grace upon grace is an expression meaning a continual cascading of God's grace directed at human hearts. I would add to that, that in all of that cascading of blessing after blessing, or grace after grace, or treasure after treasure, there is a choice to be made. There is a response that the light calls for. And yet, in his mercy, God says he's going to span the globe, making this possible. So 25 times through the Gospel of John, the light then is spoken of, but it is a specific kind of light. In John 8, 12, for example, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is, not only will you be saved, not only will you be redeemed, not only will you have a Savior, but you will be walking in a new kind of privilege 
Let's put it that way. You'll be walking in an understanding that the very light that God promised in the sending of his son is illuminating your walk, and you will walk in the light of life. In a sense, this incandescent investment by God in preparing the world for the incarnation is God illuminating all of creation to accent one vital truth, that the human heart is the singular focus of God's redeeming grace in Christ Jesus. It is to have a heart-to-heart relationship with the redeemed. So, obviously, choices are necessary. Obviously, choices and responses and, and an understanding is, obviously, there is a, there's a connection between my relationship with the light given and his continuous grace to bring it to me. The, the grace that is undeserved is not to be received passively and carelessly. The fact that it's undeserved, the fact that Christ paid the ultimate price, the fact that every aspect of this wonderful story is what only God could do, that doesn't change the fact that in John 1.12 and in John 1.16, we are called to be active receivers and responders. Well, the theme reverberates through the Gospel of John, and just a couple of the examples of those 25 would be in the third chapter where in uh, explaining that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting light, everlasting life, that timeless promise from God that every single human soul on the planet today, in whatever the dire circumstances or desperation or extremities of their lives, they're the object of God's love. And yet this love message is described again with that reverberating theme from John 1, light has come into the world. So verse 19 of John 3 says, the light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So in John 3, 20 and 21, there is a kind of a, in a sense, a, a dynamic is set up that illustrates exactly what we saw in John 1. I think of it this way, that it is a very of a profound negative over against an astounding positive. The profound negative is men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That is, there is a rejecting, there is a human instinct to repel God. There is a human instinct at self-sovereignty by which my self-life would usurp the obvious priority of the God who designed me. It is reflected in a most uh, tragic way in the prophet Isaiah's words when he says, why would the potter say to the clay, 
Why have you made me this way? It is reflected in, in a more poignant and poetic and, and uh, almost musical way. To me, it sounds like music, this, the eighth psalm, where, where, where the psalmist describes the, this wonder of God having put human beings in a status that is far more, far more significant than we often understand. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have made human beings a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor that they may have dominion over the work of your hand. When the apostle who pins the epistle to the Hebrews in that third or fourth decade after the resurrection of Jesus, calling those who had begun to wander from their faith in Jesus to try to revert back to some ritualistic or legalistic system, and the writer of, of, of Hebrews chapter 2 says that we now must understand as human beings, we don't yet see all the things put under the feet of human beings that we would like to see. We haven't cured cancer. We haven't conquered the common cold. We haven't, we haven't vanquished all of the maladies of humanity that, that vex our earthly existence But in Hebrews 2.9, he says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor for the mission that he might taste death for every man, so that in him it would be known that we have a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. This infant king in the manger in Bethlehem is God's sent high priest who will be the mediator between God and men so that human beings never need another human mediator. They never need to go to a priest. They never need to take of a ritualistic sacrifice. They have none other than the reality, Jesus, the sacrifice lamb. But we see Jesus, and in seeing Jesus, we can respond with that profound positive. The profound negative is, leave me alone, God. I'm managing my self-sovereignty quite fine. Thank you very much. Or we can take what John 1.12 offers us that instead of rejecting the light, we can embrace the light. Instead of repelling the inbreaking of the light of God's word that says you can live in a free way now. You can live with life surging in your veins. You can have a daily relationship with the true and living God. And that positive response is simply a yes to God incarnate reigning in our hearts and lives and reproducing life. Finally, the Apostle Paul referred to this same truth in Galatians 4.19 when he said, my my friends, I am travailing as one who is in a travail of of childbirth, using the illustration of the, of the burden of the Word of God coming into people's hearts, I travail as one giving birth, he says, until Christ be formed in you. 
wow, this on Christmas Eve is part of God's design that knowing Christ the living Savior then puts before us a gift to reach out and to receive from him. In essence, what he was saying is that from the Logos of John 1, as we think of the span of that vast gospel story, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Logos was with God, the Logos was God, the same Logos in verse 14, became human, became flesh, and dwelt among us. Why? So that we could behold his glory. The one dwelling among us, tabernacling among us, the living word of God, who in creation caused all things to spring into being, has now not only come to save us, not only come to bring forgiveness, not only come as God's eternal Messiah King, but in all of those expressions, he has also come to give us a vision of what it means to be fully human before God. To be who God called you to be. The new birth is more than somebody just receiving a, an experience or a transaction by which they say, okay, now I know that I'm saved. I know that my sins are washed away. I know that one day I'm going to, when this earth suit dies, I go immediately into the presence of my Savior. Those are indescribably glorious riches that can never, ever, ever be diminished. And yet, that's not all. Would you turn around to tell somebody that's not all? That's not all. Because the all includes you and me living in the light of the incarnation in such a way that we know being human, being a man or a woman, is a high, highly invested gift from God that in Christ means. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He or she will be living in the light. And in that light, living for God, being fully alive, being fully responsive to the goodness of God elevates the human experience. Yes, Christmas choices. Yes, he puts it in our hands. Yes. He says, he came into his own, his own shunned him. His own put up a wall. His own put up a hand that says, back off, God. But to as many as received him, to as many as said yes, maybe reluctantly, maybe we came kicking and screaming, maybe we came after a long, tortured path of self-sovereignty. But then finally we heard it and it resonated in our soul and we said, wow, this Christmas thing, it's not just about a baby in a manger. It's about God becoming human, bringing salvation, bringing forgiveness, bringing eternal life, and in this life, bringing his incandescent light.
floods your path as a follower of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask today that in the light reflected in every heart that says yes to Jesus in this Christmas Eve and tonight in home and family celebrations and other wonderful services and the great music of these days and the priceless gifts of our loved ones in the places of hurt and, and grief and loss where we walk alongside loved ones in these days of Christmas, realizing sometimes the pain is accentuated in these hours because of, because of the beauty of what, what it involves and yet the losses and the, the places of disappointment in the hearts of people. So all of this together, Lord, we ask that light, your light, will flood the paths of all who go forth from this morning, carrying within their hearts the joyous news, Jesus our Savior is born.